Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. Yeah, thank you for such a lovely time in worship this morning. I love that line. Uh, Jesus, this song is forever yours. And I just pray that this, this morning the words that I'll bring will be Jesus' words, that you won't see me, but you will see Jesus and hear Jesus, that he'll come by his Holy Spirit and speak to us, um, each of us this morning. Um, earlier this year, back in May, Andrew and myself, my husband Andrew, in case you didn't know who that was, um, had the privilege of attending a conference in Keswick in the Lake District. That's a blessing in itself, being in the Lakes, because it's such a beautiful part of the world. Um, But the conference was called Faith in the Second Half, and it was run jointly by a Christian organisation called Faith in Later Life, and also Keswick Ministries. Uh, You may have heard me mention uh, Faith in Later Life before, it's a great organisation, but the idea of the conference was to resource Christians to be equipped, empowered, and um, ready to live for Christ in the second half of their adult lives, really focusing from retirement onwards, I suppose. Um, Over three days, we had really excellent Bible-based teaching on uh, two main streams. Andrew did the stream called Retiring Well. He's asked me to point out, though, that he's not retiring. He's not retired, and he's not of statutory retirement age. So he just wanted me to make that clear this morning. (laughs) He went to Retiring Well, and I did a stream called Fourth Age, For those of you not familiar with the term um, fourth age, um, there's a theory of ageing that our lives can be thought of in four ages. And we can think about growing older in terms of a third age and a fourth age. Third age is that time around and post-retirement when we're able to live and enjoy a really full and active life. Uh, Some people say third age is the most fulfilling and, and satisfying part of our lives. Fourth age is when uh, we become more dependent on others for our daily care, when we become become more frail and we need more help on a daily basis uh, as a result of a decline in our physical and cognitive abilities. So the topics in fourth age were um, not always easy listening, but really important topics to discuss and get out in the open. Things like the transition from independent living to being more dependent, dying well, in the light of Christian hope. So not easy listening, but really important things that we need to get out into the open and and talk about and be prepared for. Um, Andrew and myself thoroughly enjoyed the conference. It was a really helpful three days and we came away feeling um, uh, enriched, challenged, um, inspired in equal measures. It's happening again next year, next May. If anybody's uh, interested, it really is a good investment of a few days. It really is you know, worth going to. There probably will be different focuses next year, but um, it's really worth going along to. One session that had um, the most impact on me, and this word actually has come up quite a lot already this morning, so it's kind of confirmation that God wants me to share this, I feel sure. Um, it was a session called Caring and Being Cared For. And um, this morning, I want to share really some of the key messages from that session that have really stayed with me and lived with me and keep coming back into my mind. And I feel it's what the Lord wants us to, us all to hear and respond to this morning. The session was uh, led by a lady called Jenny Brown, who put her career on hold for four and a half years to become the living carer 
for her mom who had dementia and sadly also got cancer towards the end of her life. And Jenny just shared her honest reflections of that time. She didn't claim to be an expert carer at all, but she just spoke what that was like for her, that period of her life that she gave over to caring for her mom. But the thoughts that she brought and um, what I'm going to base, what I'm sharing with you this morning, um, was underpinned by some really important words of Jesus. And I want to read them first and foremost. So we kind of lay the foundations for what I'm going to share this morning. They're found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 40. And I want to read these verses to to lay, as I say, lay a foundation for what I want to share. And I'm going to read from the Passion Translation because I kind of like the wording of it. When the Son of Man appears in his majestic glory with all his angels by his side, he will take his seat on his throne of splendor and all the nations will be gathered together before him. And like a shepherd who separates the sheep from the goats, he will separate all the people. The sheep he will put on his right side and the goats on his left. Then the king will turn to those on his right and say, you have a special place in my father's heart. Come and experience the full inheritance of the kingdom realm that has been destined for you from before the foundation of the world. For when you saw me hungry, you fed me. When you found me thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I had no place to stay, you invited me in. And when I was poorly clothed, you covered me. When I was sick, you tenderly cared for me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. Then the godly will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and give you food and something to drink? When did we see you with no place to stay and invite you in? When did we see you poorly clothed and cover you? When did we see you sick and tenderly care for you or in prison and visit you? And the Lord will answer them, don't you know, when you cared for one of the least of these, my little ones, my true brothers and sisters, you demonstrated love for me. It's said that around um, three out of five of us will be a carer for someone at some point in our lives. And the majority of us will also be cared for at some point in our adult lives too. Uh, we will all be givers and receivers of care. And uh, the peak age, apparently, for being a carer is between 50 and 64. Um, and that may involve being a carer for an elderly relative or for grandchildren or both. Sometimes it's both. And, of course, many cho people choose to become a formal carer. That means they get paid for doing it. <laughs> And they could be in the nursing profession or they could be employed as a carer working in a, a care home or for a domiciliary care agency. It could be their career choice. Becoming an informal carer, that means where you don't get paid for it, you haven't got a job description, you don't have all the terms and conditions of what you do. Um, becoming an informal carer is often something that can happen quite gradually over time where there's a change in the dynamics of a relationship and one becomes more dependent on the other. Um, in our marriage vows, we promise to love and cherish each other in sickness and in health. 
So it can happen gradually, a kind of a natural process, or it can happen quite suddenly due to an unexpected illness or accident or some life-changing event can kind of turn our lives upside down and we become uh, a carer. And for some, being a carer becomes a 24-7 task. Carers are very often unseen, unnoticed, but I really hope, especially in our church family, that they are never undervalued. They are doing an incredible work for God. Um, it can be a tremendous joy to look after a loved one, but it can also equally be quite exhausting, um, quite hard work and quite isolating. And I know that there's people, there's people here this morning and people who are not here because they are fulfilling their caring duties at home. We have carers within our own church and we need to be intentional about coming alongside these people, about giving them the love, the support, the encouragement that they need to keep going in this vital work that they're doing. And it's a challenge to me, and I think it's a challenge to all of us, that carers need to be cared for just as much as the person that they're looking after. We all start our lives in dependency, don't we? As tiny babies, we are completely dependent on our parents. Uh, you know, they have to feed us, change us, wash us, dress us, undress us, comfort us. We are completely dependent on our parents. And I think it's staggering to think that the great God of this universe, the great, awesome, powerful God, should choose to come to this earth in the form of a, a vulnerable, fragile baby. Jesus, too, needed human arms to comfort him and cuddle him, to feed him, uh, to keep him safe. And God entrusted his um, entire human existence to fallible human beings. That's quite a risky strategy, isn't it? <laughs> but that's the way he chose to do it. And many of us, we start our lives in dependency. Many of us will end our days in dependency too, where we're going to be dependent on others for our care. Towards the end of his life, Jesus himself voluntarily handed his life over to others. He became totally dependent on others. And that act of surrender really started in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus allowed himself to be taken. He made himself vulnerable. And it's a powerful illustration to each one of us as to what it can mean to surrender ourselves and lay our lives down, place ourselves into the hands of another. You see, God ordained dependency. We kind of fight against it. We think, oh, no, I'm going to be independent at all costs. And that's not a bad thing. But God's plan has always been that we should be givers and receivers of care. That was the way he's planned it. That's the, the pattern and the rhythm of our lives. Jenny, going back to the session that I was in at that conference, she described it as a symmetry of care, which starts when we're children um, and is mirrored again when uh, we become dependent on others for care in our later lives. Jenny spoke really movingly about that mother-daughter relationship and how she was reminded of all the, the care and the kindness and the love that her mom had poured into her life that she was now having to reciprocate to her mom in her later life. Jenny was having to make sure that her mom was safe, that her mom was comfortable, that all her physical needs were taken care of. Um, just as her mom had done for her when she was young. And caring for someone, whether it's a loved one or whether it's a complete stranger, 
It's a way of honouring them. It's a way of affirming their God-given dignity and worth. The Bible tells us that we're all made in the likeness of God. We all have the imprint of God on us, the breath of God in us. And when we care for another, we are recognising God in that person and validating that they are worth our care and attention. Jenny talked quite openly that often her experience of looking after a mom was that a mom resisted care at all costs. <laughs> she didn't like getting washed and dressed. It was a struggle to get her to shower. Often she was quite challenging and difficult. That was all part of her, her dementia. But as her dementia progressed, Jenny's mom sadly wasn't able to verbally communicate uh, as much and it deteriorated till she virtually had no conversation whatsoever. So Jenny very rarely got any expression of thanks whatsoever. And that's really hard, isn't it, to keep giving and giving and giving and not to feel like you're getting anything back in return. That can make caring for someone quite tough and make it hard to sustain. And there are times when you can show care and kindness and love to someone else and it can be completely not acknowledged. The person can be indifferent almost to it or they can even reject it. Um, or it could be that the person themselves can't respond to that love and care and attention. They're unable to express their thanks and appreciation. But even if that happens, even if someone either chooses not to show gratitude and appreciation, or they can't, God is still receiving the care. God is still receiving the care. That phrase has really stuck with me because I've been in situations where I've been to visit people and they're perhaps being nursed in bed and you see very little, you have very little response and you think, Lord, what, what's that about? But God is still receiving the care. Even that person cannot, cannot respond to you in the way that you think you would like them to. God is still there. God is still present and he's receiving that care that he's given. And Christian love shown to another is a way of recognising God in that person. It's saying to them, it's good that you're here. It's good that you exist. We are glad that you are with us and in this world. You still have value and worth in God's eyes. We will all have opportunity to care for others in, in our lives. And, and these thoughts don't only apply for when, uh, only apply to perhaps when we become a carer for an older relative. Um, you know, when we lovingly prepare and de deliver a meal to uh, a family welcoming in a newborn baby, or to someone who's perhaps not able to prepare a cooked meal for themselves. When, as a parent, you sit up all through the night with a child that's fractious and feverish and not very well, and you're having to change their bed, and, you know, we've been there. That's caring. When we serve a cup of tea at the end of a Sunday morning service, and then we sit down and we have a chat with someone, and, uh, you know, get into conversation with someone. These are all acts of care and kindness. And Jesus is in those conversations. Jesus reveals himself in those practical displays of love and compassion. Ultimately, I really believe that caring for another can become an act of worship. If it's done out of a place where we first and foremost give ourselves over to God, where we humble ourselves and surrender ourselves completely to his, um, to his way and his will. When we sacrificially, 
sacrificially serve him first and foremost. And then our care for others comes out of a place we are, where we are responding to the love and the grace and the mercy that Christ so freely pours into our lives. We can read in the Bible just very ordinary acts of care and kindness that became extraordinary because of Jesus. A meal was given. It was just five loaves, two fish, an ordinary lunch. But when it was placed in Jesus' hands, it became a miraculous provision for 5,000 people. The friends who, uh, the friends of the paralyzed man who physically picked up his bed and carried him to where he needed to be, they were the ones who were up on the roof scrabbling and making a hole to lower the friend down to where Jesus was. They physically just got the man to where he needed to be. And because they brought him into the presence of Jesus, he was healed. Mary washed Jesus' feet. Um, foot washing was just something that was kind of, it was done routinely in, in those days. Um, the host would wash the feet of, of their guests after their journeys um, washing away the dust and the dirt from the, the road. But Mary transformed that ordinary task. Yes, with her extravagant love, she, she dried Jesus' feet with her hair and she poured expensive perfume on his feet. But she transformed that ordinary, everyday task into something beautiful, into an act of worship because it came out of that place of love and devotion to the Lord. Ordinary Everyday tasks can become extraordinary miracles if we place them in the Lord's hands. And you might think what you're doing to help someone else is only small. You think, you know, does it, does it really matter? You might think, well, it, I'm just getting someone shopping once a week. Or I'm just making a telephone call to someone um, regularly just to make sure they're okay looking after their loved one. I'm just looking after my grandchildren. Or I'm just trying to be the best son and daughter I can be in looking after my parents. Don't look down on these small things because if they're placed in God's hands, they can become something beautiful for him. And uh, all these things can be acts of worship if we commit them into the Lord's hands. If we're motiva motivated first and foremost by a desire to love and to serve him in the best way that we can. A few Sunday mornings ago, Ruth very bravely shared about her recent experiences of feeling um, completely overwhelmed with uh, fear and anxiety. And she spoke about how she'd been reminded that God had said that, you know, he would see her through those dark times. And it was really brave of Ruth to share and it, it had a, 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 you know, tremendous impact on people. Um, but she urged us to reach out to others, not to struggle on our own but to ask for help, to put ourselves in the place of needing to be cared for. And that's a brave thing to do. And in response to her story, Liz said a phrase which uh, stuck with me, Liz Barton. Um, and I wrote it down at the time. She just said this after Ruth had spoken and said that. She said, we need each other. We are Jesus to each other. We are Jesus to each other. And it's just... It's such a simple phrase, but if we could really grasp hold of that and live it out, what an impact it would have on our lives and the lives of people around us. And if you remember nothing else from this morning, I pray that you will pick up that challenge to be Jesus to everyone and to see Jesus in everyone. 
be Jesus to everyone and to see Jesus in everyone. That attitude and that approach to caring for others, whatever that looks like, whether it's you're responsible for someone's care 24-7 or whether it's just those small acts of care and kindness along the way. If we could look and see Jesus in everyone and try and be Jesus to everyone, what a difference it would make. God cared for us so much that he sent Jesus. He loved us so much. And we look to Jesus for our example, don't we? That's the only way we're going to do it, by looking to Jesus and asking him for his uh, grace and his mercy in our lives, to live our lives uh, as Jesus would do. And I'm going to read some verses from Philippians just to close. Perhaps the the band could come back up because they're going to help us really pull our thoughts together with a, a lovely song. But we look to Jesus for our example in caring for others, in serving others. And uh, this is what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 to 12. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human appearance, likeness, human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. And Sophie and the team are going to sing that song for us. Some of you might remember it. It might be a new one to you. The words will be on the screen. But hopefully it will just bring together all that I've tried to share this morning. And I hope it will land in your heart and that you'll um, just receive something of the Lord this morning that will challenge and bless and encourage you. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website www.amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk.